This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And you've probably found yourself worrying a bit more than normal over physical symptoms that you're experiencing every once in a while, perhaps even going down a rabbit hole online, looking up your symptoms or even asking your doctor about it. But in some severe cases, this is also known as health anxiety or hypochondria as what people have heard before. Now, the question is, when is it normal to worry about your health and when would it be causing you more problems instead? So we want to dive into that today. And on the show with me is consultant clinical psychologist Lavender Tan to help us better understand this condition and how it affects the lives of individuals who are dealing with it as well. Thanks for joining me today, Lavender. Thank you for having me. Now, what is health anxiety or what many people refer to as hypochondria? Okay. So generally, like with anxiety, it's about disproportionate and excessive fear, right? Mm -hmm. So health anxiety is disproportionate and excessive fear about health-related any kind of issues or symptoms. So basically, there's a strong preoccupation. People who experience any kind of health anxiety or hypochondria tend to be often thinking about either a symptom or an illness, and they tend to be very hypervigilant. So they're super careful making sure that um, they don't catch it or they're constantly monitoring themselves for these symptoms, constantly paying attention to these symptoms. And also typically they experience high levels of distress. So maybe not being able to sleep whenever they start thinking about it or whenever a symptom shows up that uh, they're worried about and it could affect their ability to kind of function in their day-to-day -day lives. And this also translates to two different kinds of behaviors. So for some, there's excessive care seeking. They constantly want to go to the clinic or the hospital to uh, check on this symptom or check on this illness. Or for others, it can actually go the other way. The anxiety actually stops them from going for a medical examination. So they might uh, skip out on their necessary um, you know, health examinations or anything like that because they feel like they might have something and they're so afraid of being told that they have that disease or illness. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because, I mean, I've, I, I, know, I don't know much about it, but I've always thought that it's about wanting to be diagnosed with something, but mm. it could also be you the fear leading to not wanting <laughs> to know that you have it, right? So yeah. is it then a mental health condition because it's linked to anxiety? Mm, it is. So uh, it's not that the symptoms cannot be there. So it's not that they cannot health the, have the health condition or have some of these symptoms. It's just that their anxiety for it is so excessive. So it is a mental health issue. So they might have a symptom. So maybe, I don't know, uh, if it's somebody who experiences... Um, a rash. headaches or oh, oh, a rash yes right so like a rash is something that is a symptom it's there but they might be preoccupied with um, having skin cancer mm. or they might think it means that they have a very uh, terrifying contagious disease right mm. so yes there's that medical aspect of it but the part of it that allows them to get so distressed and anxious is a mental health issue mm. so you sort of go from having a symptom to mm. the worst case scenario, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, in my research, I've came across that there's also a similar condition known as somatic syndrome disorder. I guess, mm -hmm. what is that and how is it linked to health anxiety? 
Okay, so with the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, mm-hmm. there isn't actually a diagnosis for hypochondria. Hypochondria mm. is sort of like a blanket term for health anxiety. And then under that, there is illness anxiety disorder. So that's where you are preoccupied with the thought that you have an illness. So maybe you feel like you have a heart disease. Mm-hmm. So uh, you start to notice any symptom that indicates that you have a heart disease. Like maybe when you have heartburn... Or when you're struggling to run, you associate it with that illness. So somatic symptom disorder is the other uh, disorder that falls under that umbrella. And that's when you're preoccupied with one symptom. Mm. So an example is like a headache, right? So you don't generally worry about, oh, I have a brain tumor. But you will think, oh, this headache, I keep experiencing this headache. Uh, You're so worried about this headache. And you look for all possible reasons or possible diagnosis. Uh, associated with this headache. So the focus is on the symptoms. So overall, you know, and and I guess what we would be talking today is the overall umbrella of health anxiety, Mm. right? Because you are worried about um, issues related to your health, whether Mm -hmm. it's something that you think you have or the focus on a particular symptom, which Mm. is the case of somatic syndrome disorder. Yes. So then um, just to clarify a bit, right? So to differentiate health anxiety and perhaps someone being a bit more health conscious or being Mm. more aware of the body, of their own body, it would be then when it becomes a disproportionate worry. Is that right? Yeah, disproportionate, um, almost to the level of being illogical, right? The level of worry, the level of distress is so much more excessive than the actual risk or Mm -hmm. dangers of the symptoms or the health condition. Mm. Are Mm. people usually aware that they are thinking in this direction or behaving in this direction? Or is it Mm. sort of a subconscious way of of a reaction to it and they don't realise that it's illogical? It really depends on the person. So some clients I've seen, they are aware of it. They will tell me, um, I know that this is extreme, but I can't help thinking about it. And when these thoughts come to my head, I just have to act on it. So those people are very aware, but there are also people who are unaware of it and they feel that the dangers are real. So they feel like they have to uh, take all these excessive precautions and to them, it's not disproportionate. It may be visibly disproportionate to others, but they really have no awareness that it's disproportionate. Mm. So if we talk a bit about the action that they take, right? Mm. what are some examples that um, these individuals would do when they think that they have a, a mm. particular condition or when they think that a symptom is indicative of something? Okay, uh, there's a lot of different behaviours. So there's uh, the kind of behaviours involved with hygiene, you know, excessive hand washing, to a point where maybe your skin is affected. There's also care-seeking behaviors. So um, I think the first example you gave, like looking for a diagnosis, it may seem that way. It's because they're so anxious and they really feel like they have it. They might go from doctor to doctor um, trying to get that kind of confirmation because they're so anxious and they really believe it. So that's an example of it as well. Mm. So in the case where they do go from, where they do see a healthcare professional, right, where they Mm. see a doctor, would that necessarily necessarily allay their concerns or is it just sort of they will just move from one point to another? Hmm, It depends on the individual again and their capacity to manage stress. So for certain individuals, it keeps going. They really can go on for a long time from one medical professional to another trying to find that diagnosis. But for others, they're able to manage after seeing a few people and they're able to acknowledge, okay, if more than one doctor, I've gone for my second opinion, uh, chances are I don't have this. 
Uh, so it really depends on the person and the level, the severity of their anxiety and preoccupation. Hmm. When we talk about health anxiety, we I, I guess we often think of it in terms of adults, right? Mm. But at what age do you usually see people sort of developing these sorts of anxiety? I guess, is there really a specific age? Is that is that something mm. that perhaps even younger people, children or adolescents might have? Or is it something that we usually only see in adults? Actually, that's a very good question. Um, I don't know the research, to be honest. Mm -hmm. From what I can see, it's predominantly adults. Even if children start to exhibit that, it's something, uh, just the ones that I've seen, it's because it's something that they've learned from their parents. So maybe they have a mother who's very worried and very pre preoccupied about these health-related issues. Mm -hmm. They're much more likely to be worried about it as well. Mm. All right. And, and I guess from there, how common is health anxiety based on what you see? Hmm. It's been a lot more common since the pandemic. Uh, it's relatively common. I think there's a sort of a range, right, mm -hmm. where some people are more anxious about their health than others. It may not go into the clinical level, but since the pandemic, it has increased a lot, I feel. Mm. Mm -hmm. What would be that clinical level? Oh, there's a number of things. So first is um, these symptoms, right? Like worrying too much, uh, excessive health seeking or avoidance, uh, the level of distress. So it could affect the person's mood very significantly. They feel um, really upset or really stressed out on a day-to-day -day basis because of this. Uh, and this can translate to like appetite change. You know, they're so worried about uh, their health or their illness that they can't eat or they eat too much. Uh, it affects their sleep. Um, sometimes it impairs their ability to function in the world. So they're so anxious or so worried that maybe it distracts them from work or they can't show up for work because they're so overwhelmed by uh, their preoccupation with the symptoms or they can't uh, engage in activities that they enjoy, right? Like if they feel, oh, I have heart disease, I can't run, I can't play badminton, I can't, you know, and it really impacts their, um, qual their time with um, their friends. So it's how much it impairs their functioning. And in order for a diagnosis to be mm -hmm. given, typically these symptoms have to exist for at least six months. Because sometimes, you know, if you've been through something, maybe you're going through a stressful time or maybe you did have a bit of a health scare. Mm -hmm. It's quite natural to have an elevation of health anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just if it's prolonged, it lasts a bit too long, like more than six months, that's when it becomes a diagnosis. Mm. All right. Let's go for a quick break now. And after that, I want to ask you more about things that could trigger the sort of um, mm. thoughts or behavior from people with health anxiety. Um, I'm speaking today to consultant clinical psychologist Lavender Tan, and we are talking about the um, umbrella issue of health anxiety, which, as Lavender says, can be broken down into illness anxiety disorder as well as somatic syndrome disorder. We'll continue this discussion after a few messages on Health and Living, PFM. 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. On the show today is Lavender Tan, consultant clinical psychologist, and we are talking about health anxiety. Now, this is an interesting topic because, um, you know, especially on a show where we're talking about anything and everything related to health, um, as the producer of segments on this show, you know, it's fairly normal for me to sort of go down rabbit holes of research as well as um, pages on medical information, both for the show, but also to sort of then, you know, it, it puts the thought in my head that do I have the symptom, right? And I think it's fairly normal for a lot of people to have 
anxieties over symptoms that they might have or diseases that they might have. Um, and so we want to dive into this a bit more, right? How do you know when you have a severe case of health anxiety? And before the break, we were talking about what it is and um, how it might present and how a diagnosis might come about. But Lavender, let's talk a bit about what could trigger it because mm. I'm sure that there are instances where people with health anxiety find that that particular behaviour or thought process is triggered by certain things, right? What yeah. do you see that commonly triggers this behaviour? Mm. So that's the struggle, right? Because a lot of times with my clients with pretty severe health anxiety, you can really understand where they came from mm -hmm. because they would have had events that um, kind of put them at higher risk to begin with. So typically, um, people who have had traumatic health events, um, they've recovered from cancer, right? They're in remission. Um, maybe they have had a heart attack in the past or they have a specific condition. So, for example, over the pandemic, people who have asthma, mm -hmm. uh, who grew up with asthma, they develop quite severe health anxiety, which is fair, right? Um, so there's actually a lot of history already. They might they might be managing a condition, like they might have long-standing health issues that they're managing. It's just that the anxiety that they experience is so disproportionate. So that traumatic health events, uh, generally people who already have underlying anxiety, maybe they have always been um, anxious, mm -hmm. anxious dispositionally, or they have generalized anxiety, uh, something could happen that causes them to focus more on their health. So then all the anxiety is directed there. Uh, or being exposed to somebody who went through some difficult health issues, so maybe losing um, a loved one to cancer, or being a caregiver to somebody with chronic health issues can make people more conscious. Because you know more, right? Mm -hmm. When you're a caregiver and you see all these things, you see how they could go wrong, you see how tough it can be. Uh, it's natural for you to be more vigilant about it. Um, and other life stressors as well. The more um, pressure you have from other areas of your life, the more susceptible you are to developing any kind of anxiety. Hmm. Did the COVID-19 pandemic affect more people in terms of health anxiety, even people mm. who previously might not have had such thoughts, right? Because there, yeah. was, there was so much of that fear of the unknown, fear of a disease that we didn't know mm -hmm. um, how to treat, that initially we didn't have a vaccine or any treatment against. Yeah. That must have been quite... Um, anxiety inducing for a lot of people Yeah, it was Because we didn't know what we were working with, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right A lot of people who didn't have health anxiety before A lot of people will say like You know what, I never actually noticed How many times I washed my hands before this <laughs> But now everybody does And we never used to notice How physically close we are to another person Now everybody does, mm -hmm. right? So you're right A lot of people did develop health anxiety Throughout the pandemic Mm, but it's definitely a lot worse for people who had other health conditions as well or already have some level of health anxiety. Mm. Now, this is something I've heard from other people before, but could um, someone who has health anxiety, um, if they hear sort of someone else describing a particular disease or particular mm. symptoms, could that sort of trigger a, a case of anxiety for them? Yeah, it can. 
um, it's even not for people with health anxiety. I don't know if what do they call it? The first year med student syndrome. It's not a real thing, but um, a lot of first year medical students say that when they're learning about these diseases, they start to feel like they have these diseases. Mm -hmm. And uh, even in psychology, uh, a lot of psychologists in training, the early stages, when Mm -hmm. we start learning about disorders, we hear about it, we start to feel like we have some of these disorders, right? So definitely, if somebody's already anxious and then they hear from somebody else, maybe the person's going through it and they start to list um, all of these symptoms and all of these struggles, and maybe they have one or two of these symptoms, it is very likely that they can be um, sort of triggered to develop more anxiety about that illness. Mm. And what about the um, act of Googling something? Now, we've heard <laughs> the term um, cyberchondria pop up quite a lot in the re- in recent years, right? Referring yeah. to someone who repeatedly um, searches, who l- repeatedly looks up the uh, medical information online, symptoms that they might be experiencing online. Mm. How has the internet sort of affected people with and without health anxiety? Mm. The internet... Yes, Dr. Google has definitely made things a lot harder for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quite a struggle, actually. A lot of people who have actual um, diseases, Mm -hmm. when they Google it, they get even more anxious because... I don't know. I guess people are sharing really scary stories out there and even the symptoms, right? So if you Google a headache, it typically tells you that you have a brain tumor. (laughs) Yes, it goes straight from a normal headache to the worst case scenario. Yes, exactly. So it can be very, very anxiety inducing. Um, It's just that I guess that's the quickest way we can think of to kind of search up our our um, symptoms. Is it necessarily a bad thing to look up your symptoms online, I guess, in terms of the impact that it has on your mental health? Mm. So far, what I've observed is that it has been negative. <laughs> I'm not really sure why. There should be more websites that says, you know what, people get headaches sometimes when the weather's too hot. You know, you don't mm. necessarily have a brain tumor. So I'm not sure why there's not uh, a lot of that kind of moderate information out there or maybe it's just that when you're already anxious and you're googling you see a list right they will say okay the symptom is headache and the possible explanations is one dehydration two um i don't know uh elevation in blood glucose level you know these are less terrifying three brain tumor so maybe people are actually reading these lists that gives you um different severities Mm -hmm. But your mind just goes straight to, oh my gosh, brain tumor. Mm. Yeah. And, that, and that's, I guess, due to our need to protect ourselves, right? Yeah. You, you want to make sure that you are not in danger. Mm-hmm. So if you see a list that tells you that there is this terrifying possible outcome, your brain is going to worry about that outcome, right? Mm. So then if we move on to, I guess, treatment or management, right? Mm-hmm. Can these thoughts be managed? You know, how do... You know, as, as a psychologist, how do you help people sort of manage these thoughts that they have so that it doesn't get so overwhelming? Mm, yeah, it's definitely manageable. I think for me, at least in therapy, the first step is I do accept uh, and try to understand where they come from rather than sort of dismissing it and saying, mm-hmm. oh, it's all in your head. Because sometimes they can experience that a lot if they've gone through the medical system a few times. Mm-hmm. The problem is you really never know. There are certain cases where they have gone through the medical 
uh, system a few times and they're not diagnosed, it doesn't mean that really nothing is going on, right? So the approach that we take is more, okay, um, yes, you are experiencing these symptoms or yes, this worry about this illness, there is always a risk. That's the mm -hmm. reality of it. But let's assess your anxiety. How is your anxiety affecting you? Uh, how is your anxiety sometimes counterproductive to your efforts to uh, stay safe, right? Um, and then that way, they're able to see that the anxiety is an added layer on top. So let's work on this anxiety um, so that it's a lot more manageable and um, whatever symptoms you're experiencing will be less debilitating just because the anxiety is reduced. And then from there, there's two aspects. So one is challenging the negative thoughts, um, which is where you really go into the probability or of you know this person having this disease, what's actually logical, or uh, challenging their thoughts so that they can think of more moderate explanations. And then another part is to zoom out and look at the bigger picture of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a reason you your mind is choosing to fixate on these, right? Are there other uncontrollable stressors in your life that you are avoiding to look at? Or what does it mean to, for, to you to have these health conditions? So for example, uh, somebody I worked with, uh, she had um, very high anxiety about her blood pressure. Uh, there's actually a bigger picture of the family structure of having really young children, being a single mother, you know, so there's all these responsibilities and worries about not being able to be there. So those things need to be addressed as well, mm. right? If, if it's unaddressed, right, let's look at some of the impact that that might have. Could it lead to... The, and, and and I'm thinking, right, this is a form of anxiety. Could it lead to physical symptoms for the individual as a mm -hmm. result of worrying over aspects of their health? Yeah, absolutely. So the mind and the body are actually very closely linked, right? I don't know if you've experienced tension headaches before. Mm -hmm. so, right? Sort of like when you're so stressed about something that it gives you headaches, right? Yeah. Even though you've had um you've been drinking fine you've been eating fine and things like that is that yes, is that what you're referring to exactly so uh it's very possible for stress to manifest manifest in our physical symptoms or um things like cardiac issues are very closely linked to stress as well mm -hmm. or if you're so stressed out you're not eating well or sleeping well it can develop into something else, right? So it's actually counterintuitive. You feel that you should fixate on your health so that you can keep yourself healthy. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, you can actually cause more problems to yourself by mm. being excessively uh, preoccupied with it. Mm. And in return, I imagine that would also then further affect your mental health, yes. right? Because then it's sort of a vicious cycle. Yes, it is. It's so stressful. Mm. What about the, and, and you've touched on this a bit, but what about the impact on their daily lives and routines, you know, it, it, especially when I'm thinking about the impact of um, a lot of health-seeking behaviour that mm. might be quite disruptive to their daily lives. It is, because they constantly have to go in to see the doctors, right? It takes a lot of time. Uh, you know, when you have an appointment with a specialist, it's not like a 8 to 9 a.m. thing. It's an mm -hmm. 8 to like 1 p.m. thing, right? So that's disruptive. Uh, depending on the symptoms, they can also miss out on a lot of uh, social engagements. So maybe when they get a headache, yes, a headache is uncomfortable. But if you're not so anxious about it, you might still be able to go out and have lunch with a friend. But for somebody with health anxiety, they might get so overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, the headache is back. What does this mean? Should I go get it checked out? They start Googling. They can't um, physically bring themselves out to have fun, right? Or maybe they're there. They're out with their friends, but they 
they can't stop thinking about it. So it really affects the social relationships as well. Mm. How do you, I, I guess in terms of the public's um, perception of health anxiety, right? how do people usually perceive of it? What, is mm. there a stigma attached to it? Hmm. Not as much. I think because... I'm not sure if it's our culture. We mm -hmm. are generally quite cautious people. So we do take it seriously, which may not be helpful sometimes. Because when somebody with health anxiety um, fixates on their symptoms, mm -hmm. it is very common for family members to also start worrying about it, right? And then they will also latch onto those symptoms. It's very different from mental health. If somebody says, I think I have ADHD, mm. your family and friends are likely to say, oh, no, don't worry, I'm sure it's not true. Um, you know, like you're just thinking too much. But then if somebody says, oh, I think I might have a heart disease, they'll be like, why? They want to know what symptoms you have. They'll be worried about you. They'll take you to the doctor. Mm. It's usually only when it gets to a level where it's quite extreme and your family members or friends have been with you to all these appointments, they see that nothing is wrong. That is when uh, they start to realize and they start to point out that maybe it's excessive. Mm. So initially, because of how it presents, a lot mm. of us would just think that it is actually a physical issue mm -hmm. and not see it as a mental health issue and yeah. hence less of that stigma, right? Which yeah. in, in some cases may work to its benefit, but may not <laughs> as well. True, exactly. So then what can family members or friends um, do to be more empathetic, right? Especially if it's not in that early stage where you mm -hmm. are sort of worrying with them, but you've realized that it's excessive. Mm -hmm. How do you be empathetic without, I guess, dismissing them that their concerns are not valid because True. you've gone through the checks, you've realised that there is no issue in some mm. cases. And then how do you stop yourself from telling that person it's all in your head? Yeah, that can be very damaging, right? They they could be very distressed to hear that, like, mm -hmm. hey, it's just in your head. So uh, I guess similar to treatment, you want to take the perspective of uh, don't assume it's not real. Accept mm -hmm. uh, that the symptoms are real to them. And also accept that there is always a risk that the medical checks are wrong, mm -hmm. right? And acknowledge their feelings. So when they share uh, how distressing it is, uh, be sure to kind of reflect it back to them. That sounds very stressful. Um, I'm sure this keeps you up at night or it must be really hard for you to go through that. It must be very exhausting, right? And then um, just sort of similar to treatment again, pointing out the aspect of anxiety. Like, yeah, these symptoms must be tough. And it sounds to me like you're also dealing with a lot of anxiety on top of these symptoms. Um, I'm not a medical professional, unless unless they actually are. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not your doctor. I can't help you with the medical part. How can I help you with the anxiety, right? Are there times when you don't think about this? Uh, what are the times when you feel good about your health? Or what are the times when you uh, don't worry so much about this? And then the person might say, oh, when, when we're hanging out, when we go out, I don't think about it. Or, you know, when I know I've been active for a couple of weeks, I don't feel so bad. Then you, as a friend, you can say, okay, let's go running next week or let's go to the park or let's go out more. So sort of frame it as how can I support you with the anxiety? Mm. It always goes back to asking that individual then what they mm. need rather than assuming that you know what they need, right? Yeah, because everybody is different. It's so hard for us to try to predict what they need no matter how well we know them. 
Mm. So then for the rest of us, right, I guess whether or not we have um, severe health anxiety or we're just a bit more health conscious, what advice would you have when it comes to our health-seeking behaviour so that we don't sort of cause more anxiety upon ourselves? Mm. It's very hard to find that balance, right? <laughs> okay, well, there's a couple of things. I think um, when it comes to all these symptoms, it's always helpful to sort of zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So thinking about what it means to you to have a healthy, happy, meaningful life, right? What would you be doing if you're happy and healthy? Uh, what would your day look like uh, if you're living a meaningful life? So that way, if you have a very clear image of how you want to live your life, um, you can move towards that. And it's also more obvious to you when your health-seeking behaviors are getting out of hand, right? So if you know that on a day-to-day -day basis, you want to be somebody who uh, is active at work, who's productive at work and contributing and mm -hmm. spending time with friends and family. When you notice you're spending all your time in the clinic uh, or you're so obsessively Googling symptoms that you're not paying attention to your friends at meals, that's sort of like a, a red flag mm -hmm. that something is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what how you actually want to be, um, it's a lot harder for you to spot when you are behaving in a way that's dysfunctional, right? Mm -hmm. And I think another thing is to... Uh, you know, there's the spectrum, right? From surviving to thriving. So if you're so fixated on uh, illnesses, that is a fixation on surviving. You just want to make sure you don't get sick and die, right? So you want to try to redirect your focus to thriving. Um, as, aside from just making sure you don't have a disease and you don't die, you want to think about, well, how do I want to be well? How do I want to be healthy, right? In a bigger picture, holistic way, like eating well, sleeping well, um, getting exercise, getting sunshine, spending time with people you love, managing stress, right? So if you're able to kind of redirect that focus into productive, healthy behaviors, you have a good routine. Typically, with a lot of my clients who eventually develop healthy, holistic routines, they feel more in control, so they feel less of a need to uh, be hyper-vigilant about health and symptoms. Mm. And before we end the discussion today, would you have, I guess, a takeaway message for our listeners on um, health anxiety as a whole? Mm. Well, I think the takeaway message is that it is understandable. If you have health anxiety, have some compassion to yourself. Uh, if somebody else has health anxiety, then be compassionate towards them. Uh, health is a scary thing. It's difficult to manage. And a lot of people who have health anxiety already have health issues, right? Uh, the thing is that you want to focus on how to live a meaningful life instead. Uh, and we can manage only to a certain extent, right? H how susceptible we are to illnesses. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to make sure you're not ill and preserve your life, you want to also make sure you're living your life, right? So trying to redirect that energy into something more positive and that you have more control of that can be helpful with the anxiety. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lavender. No worries. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking to consultant clinical psychologist Lavender Tan, and we have been discussing health anxieties, which is um, can be common, can be normal, but it's most important that you recognize the extent to which it's impacting your life. You know, if it's really affecting how you behave and what you do and your relationship with the people around you as well. I'm Lim Soen, and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.